If you were to think right now, and don't say it out loud, whatever it is, three things that just come to your mind. What is there anything that comes to your mind? I'm thinking, you know, we have the picnic in like 40 minutes. And I'm thinking about hot dogs and hamburgers and Little Debbie's. Can anybody say amen? I called our text Brandon yesterday about the menu. I said, what do we have? And he said, hamburgers and hot dogs. And I text back, are we having any kind of chips or Little Debbie's? And he was snarky. He texts back and said, you're taken care of. So there will be, Mrs. Debbie, Mrs. Little Debbie will be there today uh, at the picnic. So don't think about that right now. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 18. If you don't have a Bible, the Scriptures will be on the screen. I want us to think about three things this morning that I think, at least two of them specifically, are laid out in the text. And one of them ties in, if if you don't know, today we dedicated our new children's building, beautiful new building. If you hadn't had a chance to go through it yet, I encourage you to go over there when you get a chance and let somebody give you a tour. It's wonderful. I want to talk to you about greatness about children, and tie that in even with buildings. And and let's begin with this, a question to begin with. Do do you want to be great? Now, now don't, don't, some of you hide behind a false spirituality or piousness on this, but if you're honest with yourself, you have in the past at least, you have had a desire to do something or to be something with your life, to be great. I still remember when I was in seven or eight-year-olds, first or second grade Sunday school class, the teacher asked us one Sunday morning, what do we want to do when we grow up? I still remember three of the guys, myself, a guy named Randy and Jimmy, responded. We have a guy named Martin who was in that, I don't know if he was there that morning, but Martin watches us from Miami, Florida most Sundays, a dear friend. And I don't remember what he said, Martin, if you're watching message me today and tell me what your goal was. But they, what do you want to do when you grow up? And they asked me, and I said, a scientist. Boy, that was a stretch, wasn't it? They asked another guy named Jimmy what he wanted to be. He said he wanted to be a football player, pro football player. Really, he should have wanted to be the scientist. That's probably what he is. And I should have wanted to be the football player, which I wasn't. And then another guy named Randy said he wanted to be a race car driver. But you know, when I look back on that, many, many years ago, no one said, hey, I want to be a crackhead when I grow up. No one said, hey, I hope I do 10 to 15 in a state prison sometime. Nobody said, I want to be a failure. I don't want to amount to anything. Everybody, what everyone said that they wanted to do with their life is they wanted to do something that was great. And in verse 1 of Matthew 18, Jesus' disciples, his best friends, it says that the disciples came to him, to Jesus, saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Now, we believe this story is told in Mark 9. And Luke 9, you can read those when you get home. It's interesting to see how they parallel. This was not the only time they had had this discussion. That who is the greatest? Who's going to be the most significant? Who do you think Jesus is the greatest? And one time, another time when they were doing this, Jesus kind of caught them. Jesus knows what you're thinking and he knows what you're talking when you're not whispering. And, And he caught them. The word greatest in your Bibles, if you're taking notes, means larger. It means status. It means power. It means authority. It means to be esteemed. Jesus, who is going to be the biggest shot in heaven? And I think they want to know who's going to be the biggest shot now. They lived in a world where rank and precedence and status really matter, but things haven't changed in 2,000 years. We still, we still want that, and that's how we measure it, isn't it? That's how we measure it. Who has the biggest house, the most toys, the most degrees, 
who's got the power, who your mama and your daddy are. Who's got the authority, the money? We beat people up when we're adults with our billfold. We still look at those as the, the status symbols. They said, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, the kingdom of heaven can mean God's rule and reign here. But ultimately, it meant God's reign and rule in heaven. But they were probably, they may have been thinking about that, but they were still expecting Jesus to explode on the world in a political way. They were still expecting Jesus to set up his kingdom right now and rule and beat up all their enemies. And they wanted to know, Jesus, when, when you are finally in total control, who is going to be, who's going to be the greatest? Who will be the greatest someday in heaven? We wonder that too, don't we? Jesus, who's, who's really the greatest person in this room? How do I strive to be the greatest person in this room? Jesus, you say in the Bible that when we get to heaven, some of the people who were top here are going to be at the bottom there, and some who are at the bottom here are going to be the top there. You want to be great. Most of us want to be great. And here's a neat thing. Jesus did not rebuke them for their desire to be great. He just totally transforms and redirects how greatness is found. And that's my second thought this morning. Jesus shows us how to find greatness. Before we move forward, here's a question you've got to answer. Do you really care what Jesus says? Because if you don't, I'm going to go ahead and waste your time, (laughs) but it's not going to help you any. If, if you still think getting the most cars, the most money, the most power, the biggest position is where it's found, that's good. That's not where it's found at all. But if it really matters to you what Jesus says, here's what Jesus says. Humble yourself and have and keep the heart of a child. Wow. That's not what we want him to say. Jesus said, hey, you got a PhD. That's awesome. I created the world. You, you're a great athlete. That's awesome. You make a lot of money. Hey, in heaven, the streets are gold. You want to be great? Humble yourselves and have and keep the heart of a child. Look in verse 2. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. Some scholars say when you go to Mark 9, the same story, they were in Capernaum in a house, and it could have been Peter's son he brought to him. Now, the, the word child there is an interesting biblical word. It doesn't mean a baby, a newborn. It's not a newborn. It's not a five or six, well, it's not a six or seven or eight-year-old. It's probably some child in between two and four, we would say. The same biblical word is used in Matthew 2, 8, when the wise men went looking for Jesus. Remember, he wasn't still a newborn, and he wasn't in the stable. He was a little child in the house at this point. Now, figuratively, when he talks about a child, we're going to see more in a moment, he can be talking about a a Christian who is not as far along as you are, someone in life who's not of your status and of your power, someone who is not your equal. But he's certainly talking about a a child here too. He brings a child as an object lesson to him, a two- to four-year-old child probably. And look what he says in verse 3. Truly, I say to you, know, listen, when Jesus says truly, that's his way of saying, put your phones down, put your iPad down, sit up and listen, because what I'm fixing to say is super important. 
Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. They weren't asking him who was going to heaven. They were saying, who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus says, wait a second. You're getting the cart before the horse. You're wanting to know who's going to be the greatest. Some of you, Judas, you haven't even crossed the line yet. He says, you've got to turn from how you are right now. What does the word turn there? It literally means to be converted. We could say maybe it's it's certainly to be born again or can be repentance. Folks, repentance is a 180. A 180 is I'm going this way and I turn around and I come back this way. A 180 is I'm going towards Monroe, and I say, no, I'm staying in Ruston, and I turn around. That's the 180. Here's how most of us repent. We're going this way. Well, that's the wrong way. We turn around, we do a 180, and they go, oh, that's pretty fun. And we go back this way, right? That's called a 360. That's not what repentance is. Jesus says, unless you repent and become like children. Now, again, go back with me 2,000 years ago. Children in Jesus' day had no rights whatsoever. It's a, this is a weird thing. When I was a kid, kids had no rights. I mean, it, at family dinners, when we had big family dinners, the kids ate last and you, you ate what was left. By the time I got an adult, we reversed that. We feed the kids first and now the adults eat last. I got messed over in both of those exchanges. <laughs> in Jesus' day, though, kids had no, no value whatsoever. They were, they were property of the family. If you had a child that had a physical or mental disability, it would not have been looked down at all if you would have let them be exposed to the elements and die. Women were even less respected than men. If you had a girl child and you had too many girl children, you might just let them live outside until they died. I mean, it was that that bad. So so this is shocking. Jesus has taken the, the person of the lowest status, the lowest power in their society, and here are these disciples who walk with Jesus. And who are doing the Bible studies. And Jesus is saying, that's cool. But here's the child. And unless you become like a child, hey, forget about being great. You're not even going to go to heaven. Now, what did he mean become like a child? He didn't mean childish. And he's not talking about like some little spoiled brat kid. But you take a two to four year old. Some of the characteristics of that. There's humility. There's teachability. You can lead them. Most two to four-year-olds have not developed. They've got a sin nature, but they have not developed that aggressive self-assertiveness and that arrogance where you, you can't deal with them much anymore, like a lot of adults and even a lot of professing Christians. Jesus says, I want you to become like children. Wow, honest. True story. Years ago, a pastor was doing a kid's message. How many of you remember kid's messages in big churches? What they do is you'd have the pastor or somebody, children's minister, sitting down front, and all the kids would come around. These were very dangerous, by the way, because you let kids talk near a microphone, and bad things can happen. And it did this Sunday morning. The preacher said, who wants to go to heaven? Every kid raised their hand but one girl. He thought she didn't hear who wants to go to heaven? Every kid raised their hand but one girl. And, of course, her parents are dying out there. And so he says, sweetie, do you not want to go to heaven? I'm not trying to get up a group to go today, but you don't want to go to heaven? She says, no, I don't want to go to heaven. And he says, why do you not want to go to heaven? She said, I've been listening to your sermons the last three or four weeks, and my mom and daddy aren't going to heaven, and I want to be with them when they die. 
my father would have met me with the belt down there at the altar right then. We'd have, cut, we'd have come to Jesus right there at the altar, Daddy and me. But don't ask a, don't ask a three or four year old something unless you want an answer, right? And see what Jesus is saying here. First of all, if you want to go to heaven, you, being baptized is great. Joining the church is great. Going through confirmation is great. But until you humble yourself and you repent, repent doesn't mean perfection, it means a change of direction. Never forget that. Until you become as a child and humble yourself, you're not, quit trying to be great. You, you're not going to heaven yet. You've got to do that to be saved. Let me tell you a second part. You want to grow as a Christian, and this is this part of greatness, you've got to stay humble. See, here's what happens. Some people really get saved and then they get cocky, spiritually arrogant. They have the answers. It says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, knowledge puffs up. You get to, you know, you, you, you know some Bible. That's awesome. So's the devil. Do you know in hell today, there's a lot of people that know the Bible. Knowing the Bible is not near good enough. It's a great thing. It's not good enough. You want to grow as a Christian, you've got to stay humble. You've got to stay teachable. You've got to stay moldable. You've got to push your pride away. Some of you are never going to get past first grade as a believer until you take these steps. See, in life, life, we measure maturity by how we become independent. You want a child, if they're healthy mentally and physically, you want them to become more and more independent. So by the time at least they're 50 or 60, they've moved out of the house, right? And they've got a job independence. Spiritually, guys, listen to this. Get a hold of this. It's just the opposite spiritually. Spiritual maturity and greatness is measured by dependence on God, not independence. See, some of us, we don't need church. Well, you, you do, you hear this morning, but I'm talking about some of your friends and my friends. We don't, we don't have to read the Bible. We know what it says. You, you know, we don't have to listen a lot to the sermon. We, we've heard this before. So we are independent and arrogant, and, and that you're never going to grow. You've got to humble yourself and be dependent. But this is the key to greatness. Look in verse 4. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. To humble, if you're taking notes, means you realize you're a sinner. You realize your, your needs. You realize God's the creator and you are the creation. Folks, listen, this is such a wonderful concept. The way to heaven, the way to spiritual maturity, the way to greatness is you humble and you stay humble. You stay childlike. You stay honest. You stay pure. You stay teachable. You stay moldable. Somebody say amen. Man, that is so awesome. And so, see, that's such a different person than what we see about a lot of professing Christians. So greatness is found there. Now, Jesus gives us another key here. He tells us really love children and, and, and love those who are not as far along as you are. Love the kids, he's going to show us, and love those not as far along as you. Especially understanding kids in that culture, we could almost say greatness is found as we stay humble and as we love and treat well those beneath us, those under us, those not up to us mentally, physically, educationally, financially. Look in verse 5. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Welcoming of the children. Welcoming of those who aren't as far along. I think it was Malcolm Forbes who said this. That you can tell the greatness of a person how they treat people who can't do anything for them. Write that down and never forget it. 
See, some of us, we're going to be nice to the rich person. We're going to be nice to the the professional athlete or the movie star or the famous. But if someone is beneath us, a child, someone is poor and we got a little more money, someone doesn't come from the same pedigree that we do, we stick our little noses up and look down on them. Oh, no, no. Greatness is found in being humble and loving the kids and loving those who are under us. Now Jesus takes a kind of a mean turn. Verse 6, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus could have left that out, correct? But he didn't. You mislead kids. You, You mislead or mistreat people spiritually who aren't as far along as you are. You take advantage and you hurt people who are weaker or who can't help themselves. God says, oh, man, that's not only not great, you're going to pay. Look in verse 7. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one whom the temptation comes from. How many of you know who Chris Rock is? Chris Rock's a, you know who Chris Rock is. Raise your hand. You know who Chris Rock is. Chris Rock was interviewed several years ago, and he was asked about his religion. And he said, my grandfather was a preacher. And he said, my grandfather was one of the funniest people I've ever been around. Now, here's what he said. He goes, man, he cussed all the time. He ran around on grandmama. But he was a funny, funny man. He said, I'd go to granddaddy's church, and years later, several of granddaddy's deacons got arrested for selling cocaine. Yeah, they were just a crazy bunch. Are you listening? Then they asked Chris Rock, they said, tell us about your views on Christianity and religion. He said, all that is a bunch of nonsense. Can you blame him? Your granddaddy's a preacher, and that's how he behaved? The deacons at First Baptist are selling coke on Friday night? You don't don't expect that to affect people? Let's look at verse 6 again. Verse 6 but whoever causes one of these little ones to, that believe in me to sin, a child, a weaker Christian, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. The Romans in Jesus' day ruled the world. One way they did capital punishment is they would take you to the sea, tie a millstone around your neck, and push you out of the boat. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Jamie, let's show them a picture of a millstone. There were two types of millstones in Jesus' day that were popular. One was called a hand millstone that ladies would use around the house as they cooked and that they worked. The other one was called a literally a muleless or a mule millstone. You see that? That's turned by a mule. That's what he's talking about. And for a Jewish person, this would have really, oh, this would have hit them hard because, now this is not true, but many of them believe if you drowned at sea and you were lost at sea and you weren't buried properly, that your soul wandered for eternity. You don't want your soul going to hell for eternity, but you really don't want it wandering aimlessly for eternity either. Now, in Revelation 20, it tells us the sea gave up its dead and stands before the great white throne of judgment, so... You're not lost to see, but to the Jews, that was a terrible thought. Many of the people hearing this from Jesus, including his disciples right here, may have seen this happen. 
Sometimes Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that in Jesus' era, Herod squashed a rebellion. And when he did, he took some of the rebels to the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus was frequently. They took them out to the deepest part, tied millstones around their neck, and pushed them out of the boat. Now, if you're in the deep ocean, it probably, as terrible as that would be, your, your body's going to literally probably implode. I thought about this this week. Here's what would happen to me. Sharks would have sensed what was going on, circled the boat, and a huge shark would have caught me before I started sinking and held me up and mauled me for two hours before I died. I don't want to be pushed out of a boat with a rock around my neck. Do you? Now, listen. That's why I asked you earlier. This is Jesus talking. Jesus says, hey, church, play games. Fight about silly stuff. Have selfish agendas from your pastors or your deacons or or groups in the church. And and be childish and run people off where people won't want to go back to church or any church. And you know what? Someday you're going to stand before me and you're going to wish somebody would have put a millstone around your neck and dumped you off in the ocean. He tells us as Christians, if you're a Christian, you better wake up. This is serious business. I don't know why Jesus put this in there. It would been nicer if he had just left it with a pure greatness. But I think he wanted to say, hey, greatness is found when you're humble and you love those who are weaker and you love children. And by the way, if you mess with them and you hurt them, I'm coming after you. So here's our challenge today. Let's choose to be great. Let's choose to be great. Listen, many of us are never going to medical school. Many of us are never going to play professional sports. All of us can be great. We can be a great church. First Baptist Springfield can be a great church. It's within our grasp. Humble yourself. Stay humble. Be teachable. Push your pride away. Be willing to follow God and be willing to follow others and welcome the children and others. Look in verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. This is such a great verse. Despise means to stick your nose up. Have you ever known anybody that sticks their nose up at people? You kind of hope sometimes something will blow in their nostrils, don't you? God will get them. That's what we, we used to call that a snob. Is that still a, a fisher's snob, still a term used in, around? Jesus said, don't be snooty and snobby. Welcome people. Welcome kids. Welcome those who maybe don't have your social economic status, love them, support them. And by the way, those little kids that are over in our building, those little kids you have in your house, there's angels overseeing them who see the face of God. Is that not wonderful? In Psalms 91.11, it says, For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In Hebrews 1, verse 14, it's talking about angels. Aren't angels ministering spirits sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. I don't know if we all have a guardian angel. Here's what I know verse 10 says. You got a child. You go over to our children's building where those children are. How precious are they to God? How do they matter to God? He says there's angels overseeing them. And those angels, by the way, see the face of God. That's worth welcoming them, isn't it? Verse 12 and 13, he goes on in a powerful way. You've heard these verses in in Luke before. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he leave the 99 on the mountains and, and go and search 
of the one that went astray. And if he finds it, he truly says to you, he rejoices more over the one he's found than the 99 that went astray. In Palestine, where Jesus lived, the average shepherd had a 100 sheep, a lot of mountains, and, and they would graze on the, the grass of the mountains. Sometimes they'd go down in the gullies and the valleys, they'd fall and they'd disappear. And it'd be easy to say, hey, I've got 99, uh, who cares about the one? That's not what they did at all. One got astray, they went after. And this is not an agricultural lesson, this is a spiritual lesson. Here's what Jesus is saying to you this morning. If you're not a Christian, or you're a Christian away from God, He's looking for you. If everybody in the room walks out right with God but you, He's sad. He's after the one. Hey, Christian, you know what? We're supposed to be after the one. Church, we're after the one. We're on a seek and save mission. We're out to rescue people. And look in verse 14. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. We have this verse on our children's building plaque over here. God's will there means His desire. What He wants, it's His heart. Little ones, these kids, or we could say young people, that they they should not perish. Folks, if you're taking notes, that word perish is a strong biblical word. It means to be destroyed. It's almost always tied in with hell. And what he's saying here, it's not God's will that anyone goes to hell. In 2 Peter 3, 9, a great verse. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise. Talking about the second coming. As some count slowness, He's patient towards you, not wanting anyone to perish, but that all should come to repentance. Clayton and I were at the Southern Baptist Convention two weeks ago. And J.D. Greer, a pastor in North Carolina, was just elected the president of our convention. And the guy that introduced him before we voted, here's what he said about J.D. Greer. He said, J.D. Greer believes that anybody, anywhere, anytime can be saved. You know what I say to that? Amen. And here's what I say to you. If you don't know Christ today, you can be saved today. Oh, preacher, you don't know my past. You don't know my past either. And you better believe if Jesus can save anybody, he can save you. And you know, as a church, every child that comes through that new building, our goal is is to see them come to know Jesus Christ and to grow up in Jesus Christ. Our theme for that building was changing young lives for eternity. It wasn't about building a beautiful building and keeping up with anybody. It was about having a facility where kids are going to be saved and changed forever. You want to be great? I wanted to play in the NFL. At 19, I knew that was a pipe dream. My man Merrick still wants to play in the NBA. And that's not going to happen either. But you know what I say to Merrick and I say to myself and I say to you, you can be great. This church, you know, I want to pastor a great church. I don't think any pastor says, I hope my church is a loser church. Here's how we can be great. Stay humble, stay teachable, stay childlike, and go after everybody, the young and the old, that don't know Christ, and love them no matter where they are. Try to win them and try to grow them up in Jesus. See, greatness is within your grasp if you'll reach out and decide you're going to do it. My question is, will you? Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I hope that God's speaking to your heart, and I hope 
that you are willing to take the steps to greatness you need to this morning. If you're not a Christian or you're unsure, but you're ready today, you want to be saved today, pray with me. And just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. And Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart and I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going we're gonna to stand in a moment and sing a, a, a hymn of invitation. You just ask Christ in your heart are you ready to do that? You come this morning. You don't want to walk the aisle, catch me, I'll be at this door after church. Don't leave the building today without being rescued by Jesus. You'd like to join the church, kind of laid out who we are. You can come and join us right now. You can do that after church too, but do that. We need you if God's leading you here. You're a Christian this morning. Some of you are doing well. Some of us aren't doing well. Maybe it'll be where you're standing Maybe you need to come and get on your knees or your face before God and say, God, help me to be humble. Man, choose greatness today for the rest of your life. Let's stand as God leads.